So we're in the middle of a series on the Beatitudes right now, and uh, I remember when I first heard the term Beatitudes, my first reaction was, this is a new word, and I had no idea. I heard the word attitude, I think, by that point, probably from my parents saying something like, you have a bad attitude. But then the beatitude thing, I didn't understand, so I think I racked it up to it just being one of those weird church words that you hear, right? Um, I won't get into my list of weird church words, except for one. I still think the weirdest one is when people pray a hedge of protection around people. You will not find any more churchy phrase than praying a hedge of protection In no other sphere of society would anyone ever pray a hedge of protection around people. So Beatitudes get slotted into that when I was a kid. Now, the other thing that happened uh, is Sunday school teachers are clever. So they hear something like Beatitudes, and there's a clever thing you can put on a poster, right? You can extend the, the B instead of one E, two E's, and then you end up with something like this, where we end up, you put it up on the screen for me, Dominic. The B attitudes, it got plastered with B's so that you would remember as a kid all of these B attitudes. This is actually nicer, I think, than the one in Sunday school. This is also the, uh, in any church in Calgary, I'm confident that this is the corniest uh, title slide in any church this morning. And for some reason, I feel a sense of pride that (laughs) it's the worst one in, in town. So I hope now in your memory, as it is in mine, this B attitudes is seared into your head and you'll think about it. And suffer as I do when I think about the Beatitudes. So, these Beatitudes are actually found in one of Jesus' most famous teaching sections in all of Scripture. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, and you find it in Matthew chapter 5. And in a moment, I actually want to read, we'll read through the whole Beatitudes. We're in a series, but... We had a guest speaker, and then we had a presence Sunday, so we might just need to, okay, realign ourselves to where it actually fits in the text. It's always helpful when you're reading something out of the Bible, not just to read one verse, but to read it actually in the context of where it sits in the chapter, and then also in the book, and then also in the context broader of of the Bible, And that keeps it so that you can't just take one verse, cherry pick it, and make it mean what you might want it to mean. It ensures that when we're reading scripture, we're not overlaying our desires, our wants, because you actually put it into the right context, and it helps you understand what's actually being taught. So before we read that, though, I just want to go through a few things on these Beatitudes to, to bring a little bit of clarity to them. Because I find these are things that we can read, and um, you can go through them really fast, and it's like, yeah, I've read this before. But let me give you a few um, macro-level thoughts before we get into the text. 
So the original Greek word that we read here when it said God blesses, this word bless is actually the Greek word makarios. And that can be just as easily translated as happy or fortunate. So it's not a perfect translation to English from the Greek. There's a bit of a broader meaning, but I think if we look at blessed as happy, fortunate, it starts to round out a better picture, right? Otherwise, you can just say, oh, be blessed. And we kind of have an idea, but this sharpens that slightly. The word beatitudes is actually Latin. And it's defined as a condition or state of blessedness. So essentially by saying these are the beatitudes, it's saying here's some states for people or conditions of blessedness. Here's here's the state of a person who is blessed. So now this word beatitudes that's confusing when you're a kid in Sunday school Hopefully, we have a slightly clearer picture already. Now, you'll notice as we read through that these Beatitudes also follow a similar pattern each time. There's a promise that God will bless, followed by the state or the condition of the person who God will bless. And at the end, there is the specific blessing that that person will bless. Receive. Another interesting thing is that as we read these, you'll notice that oftentimes these are contrary to our prevailing culture today, and they would have been contrary to the prevailing culture of Jesus' day as well. So when you read through these, there's some of these things where it's like you feel like you're swimming against the current of our culture today. The important thing to remember is that only dead salmon swim with the current. And the last, or second last macro thought on these is that um, the focus of these Beatitudes is not solely temporal. There's eternal value as we go through these. And one of the traps I find that we can get into often is that we have such a short memory and such a short understanding of time. Um, I was at a conference earlier this week and one of the speakers said, um, we see um, God's work in moments and he looks at us uh, through a lifetime. So when we read some of these, There's one about mourning. Maybe you're not feeling a great deal of comfort immediately right now. So does your immediate situation negate a longer-term return on a promise? We have to wrestle with the eternal and the temporal that we find in these. The last thought before we read them, um, none of these B attitudes are easy, right? So um, for me, this is Jesus' teaching, and this comes across as a reminder that there's a cost to following Jesus. 
When we read through scripture, I mean, you hear people say, oh, I'm blessed. Okay, do you want to be blessed in this way? Because there's some specific conditions or states that lead to these blessings. I really want God's comfort in my life. But do you want to be in a spot where you're mourning? I will say, though, that in my short 40-some years, the cost associated with following Jesus is, uh, is far less than the returns that I've experienced already. So as we go through these, a few thoughts to, to maybe shape our understanding. So I'm going to read through these. I'm not going to be in a rush to read them. Um, so just, I'm going to preach short today. <laughs> but I, I want us to get into this. So I already pray that God would help us as we get into the word today. And, and for you, be thinking, be listening beyond um, a horribly wretched background have you thought that maybe God's wanting to say something to you that has nothing to do with what the guy with the mic might be saying and that's the value whenever we open the word God can speak and let's choose to be that turned over soil that's ready always to receive the seed that God gives us in his word so let's go Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 1. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is there. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when, you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So let's take a moment here. Um, 
And, and let's just reflect. What, what was something for you that, that stood out? When we read through this, what was your maybe first reaction? If you've read it before, was there something new where you were like, hmm, I wonder about that? Was there something that encourages you? Was there something that challenges you? Was there something that confused you? And by the way, being confused by Scripture isn't a bad thing, just so you know. Have you ever read this thing? How are you supposed to be an expert on it? But when you get confused, don't stop at confusion. Start asking questions. And questions will always lead to more questions and a greater understanding of what God's saying. So don't stop ever at confusion. Imagine when you were learning to walk, you just gave up because you fell over one time. You'd still be crawling to church today. That was for the two kids, three kids in the back learning to crawl. You can do it. You're amazing. But what do you think God might be saying to you out of these verses today for you? If we stop right here, what did he want you to get this morning? Um, So thankfully, this morning, we're not going to be looking at uh, all 12 verses. Uh, We're going to try and get to two, but I think we'll only get to one. There's, it, there's too much, uh, too much to try and tackle. And um, for me, I've actually struggled in prepping this sermon. And I think part of why it was such a struggle is that there's these sections in, in the Bible where we've either read them a million times before, we know them really, really well, we're very familiar and, uh, and we really agree with them. So then it's easy to just go, oh, yeah, yeah, I got this one. Yeah, okay, cool. And leave church, and nothing looks anything more like Jesus than when we came in. And the, the, the call for us as believers isn't just to gather. It's actually to follow Jesus. It's actually every day to be going, okay, Jesus, where, where would you be going? How would you be living? And, and I feel like I'd do a disservice to Jesus' teaching here. Is it, if we just had like a, a nice sermon, everyone agreed, and we all left and nothing changed. So hopefully we leave here um, either irritated, struggling, battling, um, convicted, some of these things that might actually cause us to change. Um, and a little insider from a preacher's perspective, uh, you'll never get tested more on stuff uh, from the Bible than when you're about to preach it. So anything I'm going to say um, today was probably learned through a me- at least a small measure of suffering this week. We're going to look at, uh, attempt to look at two verses here. 
verses 7 and 8. So I'll read those and we'll jump in. So they say, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So we'll read the second one if we get to it. Um, but what I want to do is approach these pretty honestly today, and um, we're going to dig into some of the actual words and, and what Jesus is trying to communicate. But then I also just want to offer you a few thoughts and some questions and things that I, I believe a lot of us, when we're honest, we would ask those questions, right? Um, and then hopefully we leave here with a greater desire to be merciful and looking a bit more like Jesus. So I'll read this one more time. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So this word mercy here, in the original Greek, is defined as to help one afflicted or seeking aid. To help one afflicted or seeking aid. So anytime you help someone in need, you're showing them mercy. Anytime. And also anytime you're in need of help and you're helped, you're on the receiving end of mercy. So this doesn't seem like an overly difficult concept for us to get to. The one picture in Scripture that stands out to me is there's a, a blind beggar in Mark 10 named Bartimaeus. And he's blind, but his cry out wasn't, Jesus, heal me. He actually said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he was saying, um, God, through your son, Jesus, I need help. Now, what's interesting about that is he ends up getting healed, but Jesus could have helped him any number of ways, right? Similar picture to the, to the beggar that we read about in, in the early chapters of Acts where he's begging at a gate and he said, hey, can I have some money? And the two apostles, Peter and John, just say, well, listen, we don't have any money, but we're going to help you. And he gets healed. So when a person's in need, any act that you show towards them is an act of mercy. So defining that term mercy is important, but uh, in this text here, the, really the important part is blessed are the merciful. So this word merciful is the key understanding. So Merciful, surprisingly enough, means full of mercy. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. So there's no question that being uh, showing an act of mercy is valuable on its own. But the blessing Jesus is talking about here is for those who are full of mercy. 
And this speaks less to just a solitary act of mercy. And more with, as we learned earlier, the state or condition of the person, right? So they're in a state of being merciful, full of mercy, overflowing. So that means that being merciful is not just something that you do alone. It actually becomes part of who you are. It, it could almost be listed as like a character trait, right? That person's merciful. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be known as? Full of mercy. They, somebody thinks of you, oh, they're just full of mercy. Beautiful. And the blessing for the merciful is that when they are the one afflicted or seeking aid, they'll receive it. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Have you ever found yourself in a spot where you need help? Maybe this week? That's a big agreement from the front row. And she's even a pastor. And she needs help. But when, when we're in a spot of, of needing help, needing aid, isn't it a great thing that there's a promise from Jesus that says, you're going to get helped? I'm thankful for that. And before we get to a few extra thoughts, are you in need of mercy today? If you're here, take a moment right now and pray and go, God, I need help. Would you pour out mercy on me? I need your mercy. And the, the, the cool thing that we learned from that story of Bartimaeus is he prayed for mercy and he got healed. So when you pray something like, God, have mercy on me, it's this open-handed prayer where God goes, oh, I like that. I can do whatever I want and the person won't be disappointed. Because sometimes when we put a big list, God, this is how I'd like you to move. Here's my personal timeline. God goes, oh, but I was going to do this over here. And when we pray for mercy, it allows God to move very open-handed in our lives. There's something freeing. Would, would the beggar, if, if somebody had helped him out and said, listen, I'm going to adopt you. You can come live in my house, and I'll look after every need from this day forward. That would have been amazing, too. There's lots of different ways that God could have moved. But if you need mercy, take a moment and ask. Okay, so a few thoughts on this. So uh, we established that merciful is a state or condition of being, but it's manifest in action. So uh, you could come up to me and say, yes, I'm a very merciful person. Okay, when's the last time you helped somebody in need? We can, we can, we can trace it, Right? It's like a person who says, oh, I'm the most generous person around and never gives nobody nothing. It doesn't matter as much what you say. 
It's evidenced through your actions. It sounds oddly like faith without works is dead. So it actually has to come out of you as an action. And you'll have plenty of opportunities for that. Uh, This week I was just out for a walk. This isn't even a good story. Um, I was out for a walk and... There's a guy getting into his minivan, nice minivan, looked pretty new, and he had his like bubble tea sitting on the roof of his minivan, and it was apparent that he was not going to get the bubble tea off the roof, and he was going to drive. I knew I was preaching on mercy, <laughs> so there was two options at that point. I could have filmed a pretty funny video of it falling, and then it's like down his windshield. And then the wipers smear it all over and he can't clean it. Or I could follow the Jesus path, which in this case I did. And I knocked on his window. I said, hey, you got a bubble tea sitting on the roof. And he went, oh, thank you so much. And I walked away and I thought, I'm so much like Jesus. (laughs) Um, I'm glad that that joke worked. But it's true, right? It wasn't hard. It wasn't difficult. But that person was in need of some help, and I helped. That's mercy. And I think sometimes when we start talking about things like mercy, there has to be, oh, this is just an act of mercy, where it's like this overwhelming, huge thing. Oh, I've really got to gear up to be merciful today. Oh, it's a burden. Or you could just help people in need. It could be as simple as this bubble tea. But even by taking tiny steps that way, it causes you to be more aware of what's happening around you. It causes you to be tuned in to other people. So another thought, why do we struggle with mercy? Is there anyone here that doesn't struggle with being merciful? I struggle with it, and I think it's because I can make a good list of reasons why I shouldn't have to be merciful. And I can, uh, if I work hard, justify most of them. But does that mean that they're good reasons to go against Jesus' teaching? Well, no. But think about it like this. If somebody comes up to you just after church today and asks you for help, maybe they're a homeless person, maybe they're a neighbor, what's your reaction to that situation? Honest reaction. Actually. uh, I live close to downtown, and there's people who will uh, come by your window of your car with a little cup, right? What's your first reaction? So if I'm honest, and I'd rather be honest in church than uh, lie, right? Yeah, and, and especially if, if the lie like, would try and make me look better, that seems less godly. 
But my first thought can be things like, what are you going to use that money for? You're just going to waste it on something that I think is awful. Why don't you get a job? Why are you just trying to mooch off other people? Or even just the, ah, don't come by my car because I don't have any change and then I have to wave at you like, no, I don't have any change and then I look terrible and then I feel terrible. But I know that your situation is much worse than mine because I'm in a car already and you're homeless. That's just my internal dialogue for a moment like that. And you know what? I might be right about most of those things. Maybe the person is intensely lazy. I don't need to know their whole story because I'm not actually accountable for them. But I'm accountable for me in that moment. And when I view it through the lens of Jesus, oh man, those reasons are weak. Because when he went to the cross, he wasn't up there going, People are so ungrateful. They actually deserve to go to hell for their sin. It would be just. It'd be right. I guess I'll be merciful to them. And he was so merciful in that moment that he was merciful to people who he had no guarantee that they would even accept his mercy or his help. And I think the hard thing with mercy is sometimes we go, well, when is enough enough? Ah, but I don't think for the most part we've really ever hit that spot where you've given so much that you're in a spot of deficit. So it's tough to wrestle this through. But I know that Jesus didn't make up an excuse to not show mercy on people. counter-argument, for sure be wise, right? The Bible is never going, be unwise, but it is saying, be merciful. And if I'm going to err, I would rather err on the side of more mercy than less. One thing that I love about mercy is this. It's so the opposite of our current culture. So the opposite. Um, in a world that you can almost feel sick to death of yourself, mercy is this beautiful antidote right in the middle of it. Where everyone's just looking at themselves, their own situation, my needs, my situation, my issues, my problems. Mercy suddenly causes you to look outside of yourself and go, who's in need? Oh, and we know the blessing. If I'm merciful, I'll receive mercy. But it forces us to turn outward. If you're feeling like your life is the worst, it's bottomed out, it's terrible, find someone to serve. Find someone to help. And all of a sudden, mercy begins to flow 
into your life because you took your focus off yourself and served someone else. Mercy is an antidote. If you ever feel selfish or jealous, turn to mercy. Turn to mercy every time. You're scrolling through your Instagram and you're like, oh, that person's traveling and I'm stuck here and uh, they got a new car. And it, Well, you can delete the app off your phone. <laughs> Might help. If you really feel like it just drives you into a horrible, depressed spot, then just delete it. it n- nothing that's happening on the internet is really that important. But then find someone to serve and watch how your perspective shifts. It's one of the benefits of being in church. You're around people that don't automatically look, think, and act like you, and it forces you to think about others. Um, we, we won't get into that one. That was going to be one of those bad rabbit trails that then I have to apologize or something later. But here's one thing that's terrifying about mercy and about this scripture. When you put this verse in context of other um, similar sections of scripture, you find that the measure that we show mercy is the same measure that we can expect mercy to be measured back on us. I don't know when I'm going to be in need of mercy, but I know I will be. And, and I want to make sure that the cup I'm using, I would like a big cup to be poured back over me. So that means I have to be responsible for the size and the measure of mercy I'm showing to others. So we can come to God and say, well, God, you haven't done this and this, and you're lacking in these areas. And he's going, listen, you gave me one of those weird communion cups with that (laughs) semi-jam juice in it, half-fermented. That's the measure of mercy. So um, what is it that you're complaining about? Isn't that terrifying? Um, There's a story of the man on the mat and his four good friends lower him down through the roof to Jesus. They showed mercy to their friend. And for me, that story is always a reminder that four out of five times, I want to be on a corner of a mat. But just through the probability of that story, 20% of the time, I'm going to be the one on the mat. I constantly want to be pouring out mercy so that in a time of need, there's more than enough poured back on me. There's a promise here that Jesus gives us, but there is responsibility. So we can't come to him later and go, well, but there's all these reasons why I wasn't. It just says, be merciful. Make your cup of mercy enormous that you're pouring out for other people. Make it huge. If in doubt, err on the side of more than less. It's not like God's going to rip you off because you were merciful, right? 
Um, we're not going to get to verse 8 today. And the church said, Amen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just tough because we can try and like rush through everything, but I really had a sense that today more valuable would be for us to, to take some time on this. Did I give you enough content to be more like Jesus today? No, honest question, right? Is there like a lack where you're going, no, I already had that one down. I didn't. This has been a horrendous week of people needing help at, at some times that, well, honestly, were not the most convenient for me. Oh, yeah, mercy's not really that convenient either. So um, we're going to get to these questions in just a moment. Um, but where do you find yourself now? So I've been in church a long time, so um, I tried not to crank the guilt knob too hard, right? But have you ever been in church, and then by the end you're going, I'm the worst. How could, how could even Jesus love me? I'm the worst. Um, and if we'd gotten to the pure of heart one, you would have felt awful, just based on scripture alone, actually. Um, but you can either feel overwhelmed or guilty or like I'm the worst. And, and I just have to tell you that um, if you feel that way, I've either communicated badly or at least some part of you has missed the point of what Jesus was trying to teach. And I'll take that one on me, that maybe I communicated it badly. Because we have to remember in this section, Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, for thou be shown mercy. He's not saying, you're going to be cursed if you don't show mercy. He's not telling you that you're going to be cursed. So we have to move the negative part or the well, I know exactly where I am because I haven't been showing any mercy to anyone. And we need to step into this as an opportunity that God's opening up for us. Jesus is saying, I want to create a way for so much mercy to flow to your life. And it didn't say, um, well, with any promise of God, it starts now. So if you haven't been living mercifully, you have an opportunity to change. Instead of going to guilt about all the things you haven't done and totally negate the strength and the power of the cross to forgive and redeem, we could just start now with the opportunity that we've just learned about. He's not correcting you this morning. He's actually opening up an opportunity. The other thing I'll say, too, is um, we have to get past this idea of mercy being this awful job or like, Guess I have to be merciful because Jesus went to the cross. Now I have to try and... What is that about? Why, why do we have such a negative... When did we believe that old lie, right? That somehow I'm going to get ripped off. Jesus very, very clearly said, you're not getting ripped off by this deal. If you're merciful, you'll be shown Mercy. He's not going to be left 
owing anything. So I guess all that's left to do this morning is just to decide our own response to one verse of Scripture that we learned about today. James chapter 122 reminds us that we don't just listen to God's word. We must do what it says. We've heard God's word. Now what are we going to do? Um, so I'm not going to call anyone to the front for prayer. Dave, you can actually come play something beautiful. I specified beautiful. And if it's, if it's not... <laughs> yeah, no mercy. <laughs> wow. Um, but I'm not going to call anyone to the front for prayer. We prayed earlier, right? Um, this is going to be very annoying for some of you. Um, and that I'm okay with that. You can email Bill Olson <laughs> at c3northcalgary.ca. Um, but I want to take the next five minutes, maybe with the people that you came with, but we're actually just going to take some time. We've got two questions out, up here, and we're just going to take some time, and we're going to discuss these. Now, you might go, oh, I've got to talk to other people. So things I'm not telling you to do, don't pry into people's lives. You don't have to share more than you'd like. And um, you don't even have to necessarily pray for each other. If you choose to, fine. But I just want us to engage with this one verse a little bit. I've shared some of my thoughts, but I'm sure on your journey... God's shown you things about mercy. And we just want to take some time to discuss it. So we're going to go through these two questions. What's something that stood out for you today? Or your takeaway? There was one thing that you're like, okay, that will be enough to work on this week. What was it? The second one, what's one thing that you could adjust or change in your life even look one degree or a half a percent more like Jesus. One shift. And the reason that we're going to talk to each other is that in the off chance that you see that person next week and you remember the sermon, you might just go, how did the week go? And we actually find that we're growing a little bit together, a bit more like Jesus. So uh, if you're here by yourself, you might have to move a little. I'm terribly sorry. But make sure that nobody's by themselves. Include someone, even if you don't know them well. I can't make you stay, but I'd encourage you to. Because I think it'll challenge you, and if you feel uncomfortable, my goodness, maybe we learned something. Maybe something will shift a little bit. We'll take the next five minutes. Dave's just going to play as he is beautifully. And let's wrestle with this for a bit. Let's engage with these questions. 
So that next Sunday when we come back, maybe we look just a little bit more like Jesus than we do today. So find someone, make sure everyone's included, nobody's alone, and, uh, and actually wrestle, engage, deal with it, struggle. Go.